0: And I would ask you to find your place in your copy of God's Word, Micah, not Malachi, though I will probably say that at some point in the message. Micah, chapter 6, and you might also find at some point Jeremiah, chapter 7. We'll dip in there just a little bit, but we're going to look at a lot of passages this morning. Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Lord, help us now to walk humbly with You as we give attention to Your Word. Instruct us. Help us as we try to wrestle through some things that are difficult because of the wars and the culture around us and competing ideas, thoughts, frustrations lord we want to hear from you and we want to be guided by your word we want to think clearly as men and women purchased by your blood and sent in your name for Christ's sake amen and so justice it's a big issue in our culture it's a buzzword with competing demands and definitions all planning to be right a lot of heat generated with calls from fellow Christians to make certain justice issues central to our proclamation of the gospel, and calls from other Christians to have nothing to do with such things and just preach the gospel rather than justice. Some of you may even be a little uncomfortable with the fact that this is a topic we're dealing with this morning, and I understand that. It's so one of the reasons that I felt it necessary for us to engage in this short series of cultural issues because I want to know what I should think about such things, biblically. And the way to know is to look into the Word, to study, to think. I want to know what we as believers and as a church ought to be doing in obedience to Christ. And I want us to do it based on the teaching of Scripture, not based on our reaction to Uh, to all the shouting going on around us, and there certainly is a lot of shouting. And So in this series, we're going to try to do three things with each of the topics we're going to look at over the next few weeks. First, we're going to consider each topic biblically. Second, we're going to compare and contrast a biblical understanding with what we see going on in the culture around us. And then third, we're going to try to see how the gospel provides the answer to the need that is being raised In the cultural conversation. And so, the first issue we do want to look at this morning is this issue of biblical justice. And for that, we are here in Micah 6, 6 through 8, kind of a famous passage for this topic. The first thing that I want us to see, kind of as a foundation, is that those of us who are justified by faith in Christ will care about justice for others. That's what Micah is saying in verse 6. He, the Lord, has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Here it is, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In fact, if you know the Bible at all, you know that justice is a really big deal in Scripture. I counted over 120 passages in the Old and New Testament that deal specifically with justice issues by name and many, many, many more that don't use the word justice but are dealing with the same concept. So, for example, those that use, some of the ones that use justice in its title, uh, Psalm 82 verse 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Psalm 106 verse 3, blessed are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Uh, Proverbs 21 verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Those who care about God and good will care about Justice will will care about justice because God Himself is a God of justice; is in His character. Deuteronomy thirty-two verse four says, "The Rock, His work is perfect; for all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He." Isaiah thirty verse eighteen: "For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for Him." And so clearly. We can't be allergic to the term justice. It's so thoroughly in both Old and New Testaments. And we see the connection here between God's concern for justice and ours in Micah 6. Now the question the prophet is dealing with in verse 6 and 7 is this one. How do we as Israelites please God? What does He want from us? Does He want endless blood sacrifice? Rivers of oil? Will that please Him? What if I go further and give my own child as a sacrifice? Would, would the sacrifice of my own flesh and blood for my sin be enough to bring me into fellowship with God? What is God's answer in verse 8? Well, no. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm not looking for your religious performance, your, your actions of, of, of sacrifice in these kinds of things. In fact, as we know, Hebrews 10.4 makes it really clear, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. All of our religious efforts at self-righteousness will amount to nothing. So what is needed? Well, two things are in view in Micah 6. First of all, for us to rest in His salvation by faith. And then second, to walk in that salvation as we walk with Him. First of all, to rest in His salvation by faith. Look back in verse 4. We didn't read that at first. But in verse 4, at the beginning, it says, God says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. So the context of these words we're looking at is God's mighty acts of salvation for His people. God saved Israel and claimed them to be His own. He redeemed them in order that they would walk with Him and know Him. Just as He's done for us. Right? Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And So we don't have to offer our sons in sacrifice to please God, right? Praise the Lord. Because God has given His Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. And so this command to live with a concern for justice and righteousness is given to those who are redeemed, to those who know Him. To those, as we would say it in the New Testament, who have been justified by faith in Christ. Uh, Our sins, we know, have been forgiven through faith in Christ. Now, Now we belong to Him through that faith. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we must glorify God with these bodies of ours. That's the starting place. Then, the second thing follows that we who have been redeemed will walk in this salvation with Him, caring about what He cares about, doing what He commands us. And you can see how this works here in Micah 6, 8. God says, I don't I don't want your religious sacrifice. I, I want you walking with me in faithfulness to my commands. And by the way, I've told you what these commands are. I've told you what I require of you, verse 8 says. And that's what the New Testament tells us also, isn't it? Know God by faith and walk with Him in that faith in a life of good works. We Protestants sometimes shy away from good works because we know good works don't contribute one little bit to our salvation. What we sometimes can forget is that flowing out of that salvation by faith, through, grace through faith alone, there will be good works. Ephesians 2, verse 10, right after saying it's by grace alone, he says, "...for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus through faith." For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Good works flow from faith. Titus 2 verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself what? A people who are his own, so we're his possession, who are zealous for good works. And that's exactly where Micah takes us in answer to this question. What does God want? Oh, He's told you, oh man. He's revealed to you what is good. Now, where has God told us? Where has He revealed to us what the good is that He wants us to walk in? Well, think back to last week. We looked at the sufficiency of Scriptures in His Word that He reveals this to us. The God-breathed Scriptures we saw give us everything we need to know and walk with God in a life that is pleasing to Him by faith. They would have understood that as well. At least to the degree that they were able. Because when Micah says, What does the Lord require of you? It's a direct quote. It's something that they would have known. He's calling their mind back to Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13. Uh, you can turn there. I'll just read it to you. Listen to what God told them. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? That's, that's what He's telling them. But What? He requires that you fear the Lord your God, that you walk in all His ways, that you love Him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and keep His commandments and statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. He's shown you, O man, what He requires. Where? In His Word where he instructs you on what it means to fear God, to love Him, to walk in His ways and to do all that He has commanded. And, and so we must go to God's Word to understand what He requires of us as His redeemed people, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. So what does He require of us? Micah summarizes it with these three things. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. First of all, to do justice. Now notice... Justice is something we do. And specifically, it is something we do for others. You see, in our day, we talk about justice as something we get. I want justice. Give me justice. I deserve justice. All those silly commercials from law firms. But in the Bible, justice is something we give. It's something good we do on behalf of others. Again, Psalm 82.3 three. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. The Hebrew word justice is mishpat, which means to, 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 it has to do with giving people what they are due, doing what is right and good. Now, judicially, right, courtroom, that includes giving criminals the judgment that they're due, because that's right. And so, listen, dear sinner, which is here addressing all of us, Don't ever ask God for justice. Because what you've got coming from the just and holy and perfect God is judgment for your sin. Don't say, God, give me justice. Say, God, give me mercy. Just as we have prayed today. Mercy through Christ. But here in Micah, we're talking person to person. And here it means giving what is right and good as defined by God. In other words, when it is within your power to do what is right and good for the benefit of another person, do it. And specifically, we do that in two directions. First of all, doing justice means treating others right with fairness and dignity, right? Living with integrity and honesty in everything we do you know we could look at passive talk about having a just scale and all those things uh, which are part of justice and and here we really mean a passive justice uh, you don 't hurt others you don 't use your place to, to to cheat them or lie or steal or abuse others you don 't hurt them you help them is the idea it 's treating each person with the dignity that is due them as image bearers of god isaiah sixty one verse eight says for the Lord Loves justice. And then God speaking says, I hate robbery and wrong. So kids, I would just say this, don't do wrong. And when you've done wrong, you realize I've acted in a way that God hates. I need repentance. But second, the justice he talks about here is also something that is active. It's doing right for others who are being done wrong. So so the idea of pursuing justice. Again, Isaiah one seventeen learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. And so this is a matter of taking action on behalf of others. Where we see injustice being done, as God defines it, to the poor, to the weak, to the vulnerable, to the widows, to the orphans, we step in. When it's in our power to do something, and in a democracy, very often there are paths by which we can do something, then we're called to do it. And by the way, Christians have been doing this since, since there's been things called Christians. One of the first things Christians were known for in the ancient world is going around Rome, picking up the babies others discarded in the trash piles and taking them and raising them in what became the very first orphanages. Establishing what became hospitals. A caring for the, for the broken. Going into plague-ridden areas and caring for the sick that even their families had abandoned because the Christians looked and saw this is what justice, God's brand requires. Of us. And so biblical social justice, if I can use that word, is being engaged for the good of your neighbor. It's giving them the help they need. Second, he says, we're also to love chesed. Now that's the Hebrew word used there, uh, translated kindness, loving kindness, mercy. Faithful love, chesed, some of you know that word. And really it's a a picture of God's own love that He gives and keeps giving freely in salvation. And so in other words, this is loving others with the love that God has given to us. It's 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so... If justice is something we do because we belong to the God who is just, chesed love is the reason we do it. We love them and act for them because God loves us and has acted for us. This is active neighbor love, in other words. What is the first and greatest commandment? You can tell me. Love the Lord your God. you can do better than that. Let's start together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second that is like it and flows from it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so He says, we're to love doing that. We're to love. Mercy. We're to love loving kindness. It's to be a, a passionate priority for us. We love to see God's love for the needy displayed. Leviticus 19:33 and 34 plays this out. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, and in the ancient world, if you were a foreigner in a foreign land, you were toast. You had no rights. You could be taken advantage of. You could be enslaved. It was a bad place to be. God says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat that stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. In other words, as a fellow human being. And you shall love him as you love yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so we, out of love for God, love the immigrant. We love the weak, the vulnerable. Because God loved us and our weakness and our vulnerability and our foreignness to them. I mean, we even love our enemies. How crazy is that? Luke six twenty seven. you know what I say to you, all who hear, love your enemies, do good. Do good for those who hate you. So our gift of love comes not based on what they do toward us, but based on what God has done for us. Third, he says that we walk humbly with our God. Humbly. That means we walk with Him as servants in His redemptive purposes. This word translated humbly actually means carefully or circumspectly. We could even say deliberately or intentionally. So that the purpose of our lives is not to make much of ourselves or our cause or our tribe, but to make much of Him. To keep in step with Him. That's how Paul says it. You remember Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, the Spirit who is in the bearing of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things. If you live by the Spirit, we must keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, Envying one another. Let us not just be one more warring faction. No, no. Our goal is to walk with Him as servants. Go where He goes. Do what He does. Speak as He commands. The New Testament version of that would be to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we live our lives in grateful demonstration of the love that He's given us, the joy He has placed in us, the grace He has shown to us. And it's in the context of putting Christ first and loving others for His sake, that we as Christians need to think about justice. Because whatever justice is, whatever it demands, it has to begin with God. Uh, Proverbs 28.5 warns us that evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So our understanding of justice has to begin with the Lord. It has to be anchored in His Word. Isaiah 59 verse 15 says, Where truth is lacking, there is no justice. So here's the second thing this morning. The Bible, not culture, not politics, defines the kind of justice we need to pursue. That's where we turn quickly to Jeremiah 7, 5-7. Jeremiah 7, 5-7, another one of the many justice passages. Jeremiah says, speaking for God, If you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to you, to your fathers of old. So notice the command here is not just execute whatever anybody says is justice, but truly execute justice. Now that implies that there are true ways to pursue justice as God has commanded and untrue ways that would contradict what God commands. And so to discern true justice from false justice, we must begin with Him, not cultural fads, uh, but with His Word. For instance, looking here in Jeremiah 7, he raises several justice issues. How we treat sojourners, immigrants, foreigners, that all, they all mean the same thing. And so put feet on it, that Afghan family down the street or the, 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 the Bosnian family or, 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 or the Mexican uh, family around the corner. You may not know their immigration status and you, know, you may have your political views, but face-to-face treating these people, you need to treat them with dignity and respect. The fatherless, of course that would be orphans, that would be children in need. It, it could also be the way we're teenage boys who've never known a father running around out of control and we have to ask the question, how do we approach them in a way that shows them Christ? Widows, that should be obvious, but we would also include single moms and we might think that the way they became single moms is certainly contrary to what we would understand God's Word, but here they are and here their children are and how do we love them? The shedding of innocent blood Abortion is certainly a justice issue. We ought to be concerned for the mothers and how we can help them, but who is more vulnerable than a little child in the womb who can't even speak for themselves? That's a justice issue. How do we respond? Um, how do we respond uh, to women exploited by the pornography industry, many of whom who have suffered greatly, uh, victims of of sex trafficking, uh, the homeless poor, the persecuted around the world. I mean, see, all of these are justice issues because image bearers are being defrauded and defamed and harmed, those we are called to care about. Even the modern social justice movement has raised some issues that we as biblical Christians must care about. Racism is a justice issue. It is something that the Bible addresses very, very clearly, as we would all agree, right? It's wicked, it's wrong, it's, it's horrendous. Uh, whenever you hate and disregard or mistreat any fellow image-bearer because of their ethnicity or the color of their skin or their country of origin, you sin against the God who made them. Biblically, it's the sin of partiality. James 2 8 and 9 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And there specifically he's dealing with rich and poor, but it would apply to any of those distinctions we make in order to dismiss or disfavor some and favor others because of their group or their identity. And of course, honesty compels us to admit... That our nation has a history of guilt in this area. We favored some and disfavored others based on racial assumptions. Some of the reform guys that we admire wrote horrible things about African Americans back during the old slavery South, and it, 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 we just have to realize that. By the way, some of them also worked hard to end slavery. You know, like um, William Wilberforce and others, and we ought to applaud and be happy about that. But racism is a, is a part of our history. Uh, Jim Crow, redlining, preferential hiring practices, not caring what happens in those other parts of town that don't affect me personally, are just plain old-fashioned prejudice. These are real sins that have brought real harm to a lot of people. And they too are justice issues according to Scripture. The willful mistreatment of any fellow image-bearer. And, and so... Here's my point. The problem is not that some people want justice. Of course they do. That's part of the image of God within us. God is a God of justice. The heart of man was made in God's image and longs to see justice done. That's not the problem. The problem is when sin in our hearts perverts a right desire for justice and begins to pursue it wrongly. And a lot that I see in the modern social justice movement built on a flawed foundation, does that. I applaud many times the goal. I have problems with the pursuit. And this is not the sermon for me to go into a great deal about the modern social justice movement. I've done that in the past. You can go look it up or just suggest to you what I think is a really good book on the subject for Christians confronting injustice without compromising truth. I think he does a very fair, even-handed approach to it. But I want to think about four ways that... Justice is perverted when it's placed on the wrong foundation. First, justice is perverted when we begin with man, not God, and see it merely as a man versus man problem, not a sin problem. The biblical commands for justice always begin with God. For instance, Deuteronomy ten seventeen. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial. He, he, He doesn't play favorites. He takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. Psalm 146 Five. Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord His God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. We start with the Lord. We see who He is and we follow Him. We start with Him. Because to start without Him is to lay a flawed foundation because it leaves out the most important fact of the universe. That there is a God above us and we are responsible to Him for the way we treat others. And so we start there. Proverbs 14.31 Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. I don't want to insult my maker. Second, we pervert justice when we fail to see each person as an image bearer of God. Genesis 1.27 So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. That lays the foundation. So so knowing that should make all the difference in the world for us with a biblical worldview. If every person I meet bears the image of God, then every person I meet has worth and value as defined by God. Now, I can still disagree with them. I can still dispute their bad ideas that I believe are bringing harm to others. And there's some really bad ideas out there. I can do so publicly and vigorously and sometimes I must. But what I don't get to do is mistreat them or dismiss them as unworthy of care and compassion. But what if I don't believe people are made in the image of God as many out there today do not believe anymore? What if I think they're just highly evolved animals, you know, meat machines, with no inherent value... Well, ultimately, now I am able to dismiss them and treat them as mere objects in my way to be removed. Once you remove God from your frame of reference, people tend to become disposable. Um, Theodore Dostoevsky said it this way, if there, is, if there is no God, everything is permissible. Once you begin to view people as nothing more than obstacles to your progress, you can mistreat them With impunity, and history is full of examples of that. Third, justice is perverted when people are divided into competing interest groups based on ethnic or other identities. And this is, by the way, something that racists did in the past. Right? That's a black man over there, so he doesn't have any value. His class has no value. They're not as worthy, you know. So we're going to treat them as unworthy. That's that's part of that's part of history. Sadly, it's also what's being done today by many in the social justice movement. Uh, For many in that movement, all human interactions can be boiled down to group oppression and power. And so you're either in the dominant group that oppresses others or you're part of a target group that is being oppressed. And so, for that thinking, guilt or innocence are not determined ultimately by your personal actions toward anybody. You might be the nicest person on the block, but if the group you represent is viewed as dominant and oppressive, then that's who you are as a representative. And so, for instance, in a critical race theory, if you're white, for many of them, you're racist by definition because your dominant group benefits from a racist system. And there really is nothing that you can do about that except simply give in to their definition of what racism is and oppression is, admit that you're guilty, and then just get out of the way. Because it's really not, for many of them, and I'm saying many because it's a broad spectrum, right? But it's really not, for many of them, a matter of what's right and what's wrong, let's discuss the ideas, but of identities, which group do you represent? And sadly, what happens is it becomes very divisive as it works to pit one group against another, one set of interests against another set of interests, based solely on those identity markers. It ends up demonizing some to lionize others so that people begin to believe that their real problems stem from that other group over there, and if they would just get out of the way, we'd all be much better off. That thinking has a long and tragic history. And I'm not pulling the Hitler card. That's the easy thing to do, but it does occur to me This is exactly what Nazism did, right? The Jews are the problem. The reason we Germans are suffering is because of the Jews. Therefore, let's get rid of the Jews and the Romans and the the Romans. um, Our problems will be over. It's not just them. It's throughout. You know, I've seen it throughout history. Fourth, then, justice is perverted when we forget that sin is a human issue, not just a group or cultural issue that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I was thinking about this, and I find it interesting that when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, think of all the cultural sin issues he could have pointed out in Rome. Rome is the poster child for an oppressive nation. No doubt about that. They crushed other nations. For selfish gain they lived on slavery as many as 25 percent of the population of Rome were slaves women were second-class citizens babies if the father didn't want them could be tossed out on the on the on the trash pile slaves uh, were exploited uh, for sex so Paul could have said you know you Romans you're the problem your oppressive actions against people like me are horrendous. And until Rome admits its guilt and reforms itself socially, there will never be any peace. He didn't say that. What did he say? Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? You know, so, 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 so are, are, we, are we better than you, you Romans? No. Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. The problem, Paul says, is not that some men are oppressors and some are oppressed. The problem is that all of us are sinners and given the chance and the power and the position, we would all oppress and abuse someone in our sin and so justice is not found by pointing our finger to this group or that group but by examining ourselves to see our sin being brought to real repentance and faith in Christ learning from that faith then to put others needs ahead of your own until we become until we begin to see that there can never until we begin to see that there can never be true justice because as long as self reigns in any form Justice will not exist. Why? Because it's the very nature of sin to fix my eyes on myself. To think much of me and my group and little of others. To promote and privilege myself and my wants over the wants and needs of others. And you see, that's the thing. Those whose lives are centered on self can never and never will understand true justice. I quoted Proverbs 28.5 earlier. Listen to it again. Proverbs 28.5 says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, because you're a Christian, you automatically understand justice. No, you, you might not have a clue. But it means that knowing God, beginning with God, understanding the truth of His Word and what He requires of you as you keep seeking Him, that orients your life to God, or, or it should... And the more your life is oriented to God, the more you walk with God, and the more you will understand and care about true justice, which is doing right by others as God defines it. Which brings us to this, the last thing. The gospel itself is the essential foundation we need for establishing true justice. The gospel itself is the essential foundation. Why? Because it is the Gospel alone that can deal with our sin and unite us as one despite our sins and differences. So have we sinned against one another? Oh, yes. Have whites sinned against blacks? Yes. Have blacks sinned against others? Asians against Hispanics? Hispanics against... I mean, I'm not minimizing anything. And Every time those things happen on a small scale, a large scale, they're horrendous. But here's the thing, sin doesn't care about the color of your skin. Is there such a thing as systematic sin? Oh, there's a hot topic. Sin built into the very structures of society. Well, of course there is. Because every one of those structures was built by sinners, and whenever sinners build anything, we build sin into it. So yes, we ought to look and see where things are being done in a way that violates God's Word concerning how individuals and others and groups ought to be treated. Because those who have been justified by faith in the gospel will care about genuine justice, will care about the gospel of, will care because the gospel of Christ has taught us to care. So, two conclusions, and we're done. First, the gospel. Then, the gospel must be our first priority, because the gospel alone has power to change hearts and deal with sin. That's why. It's of first importance, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel not only has power to forgive us of our sins, it has power to reconcile sinners. One of the great problems with the modern social justice movement, as I read it, is that it really does offer no hope for redemption at all. As one advocate said, we can never allow ourselves to think that justice has been achieved. We'll always, speaking of his group, My group will always be racist in our thinking. Will always be guilty of oppression. Another talks about the infinite guilt of whiteness and how we can it can never be expunged. Well, if that's true, that's hopeless. What a dismal view! I'm so glad that the gospel gives us much better news. I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter two, verse twelve to sixteen. Remember by abolishing the law of circumcision expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and to one another through His body on the cross, killing our hostility. The Gospel makes us one in Christ, one new man, Where Galatians uh, 3.28 says, There is now neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of these things that divide us can divide us no longer when the gospel unites us. That's the hope of the world. That's where justice begins. United in Christ, we begin to treat each other as brothers and sisters and care for Each person we meet is a neighbor to be loved. Second thing, not only must the gospel be a first priority, we must understand justice does matter, but justice is downstream from the gospel, not part of the gospel. What do I mean by that? There are some who say that until we preach justice as part of the gospel, we have not preached the gospel that the Gospel itself is a message of liberation about ending slavery, sexism, and every other ism that we can think about. And usually they mean ending it in some political way. They've got it backwards. Biblically, we must start with the Gospel, which is about Christ and what Christ has done on the cross for sinners. Christ who stood in our place and took the blow that justice demands for our sin. I mean, think about that. That's the greatest injustice that the world has ever seen. Christ, the perfect, innocent Lamb, died in the place of this filthy sinner. Huh. And then He takes this filthy sinner and makes him a new man and sends him out in His name to love other filthy sinners. That's the greatest news. Why? Because it's able to reconcile us to God and to one another. It's able to bring us home where we can be one family in Him. Me and you, and, and you, me with you, and you with me, black, white, brown, male, female, one family in Christ, all of us joined together in a restored humanity ready to worship Him. Brothers and sisters, that's why we preach the gospel first and foremost. It's also why we care about true justice issues because they matter to Him. Because people made in His image matter to Him. And He is working to assemble a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who will live together for the praise of His glory. And so your part and my part is, let's go tell them. Let's go show them by the way we live this love that Christ has placed in our hearts. So yes, go serve your neighbor in His name. Go help those who are broken and needy. Go help the despised and the rejected. And when you see injustice, do something about it. But do it in His name, for His glory, because the gospel has placed His love in your heart. Do it in a way, do it in a way that points them to the hope that Jesus alone has power to give. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm gonna pray and we're done. But there's 10,000 different ways then, right? We have to think about such things and work them out. And that's, that's the hard part. But I believe the Holy Spirit helps us do it, right? Father, we live in a broken world with lots of anger, lots of sin, lots of brokenness, lots of frustration, lots of politics as we're aware right now, lots of things that we react against or react for, sometimes on impulse, often without even thinking. Father, we want our thinking and our feeling to be ruled by Your Word. And so we say, Lord, remold us and remake us. Show us what is right. Father, make us the kind of people that if we come to understand from Your Word that something is right, we will pursue it zealously though the whole world hates us. If we come to understand from Your Word something is right, we will pursue it zealously though our own tribe hates us. Because we don't want anything but to walk faithfully with you and to care for the people around us as you do. And that is difficult. And the way is murky. And in the working of it out, we may even come to some conclusions where as believers we disagree on this or that small part of it. But let us be united on the big part. Christ saves sinners who repent and believe. Christ brings us together. Christ makes us care about fellow image image bearers and causes us to live in a way that shows his power to redeem the broken help us to be such people we pray in jesus name amen